Good morning. You can turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 2. If you're using the red Bibles in front of you, you can turn to page 771. This passage will help us understand the teaching this morning on the habit of fellowship. I'll start at verse 42, and I'll read down to verse 47 of Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. that back. So we're in a four-week series called Habits of Grace, which is up there. I'm not sure who drew that. I keep wondering. I want to ask. You can tell me afterwards if you drew that. Lauren Ruddle. Very cool. I like that. Looks great. Uh, It's an exploration. We're exploring some of the spiritual practices that we as Christians have been given through Scripture, uh, through God's Word, that we can draw near to God with. We can draw closer to God. And these practices should be seen as a way where the grace of God is more manifest only because we are drawing near to Him, not because we're actually doing something, not because we're doing a work, not because He's blessing us because of it, but because we're drawing more closely to Him. And so that's the way it works. So we got to make sure that as we look at these practices together, as we have in the last weeks, and we'll look at a couple more together, we got to make sure that we don't see these as a way that we twist God's arm to love us more, that we, we make sure that he blesses us more because we're doing these things, because we're more holy. It has nothing to do with it. The only thing is about proximity. How close are we to God? So these practices help us to draw near to God. And maybe you've had that inner stirring. Maybe you've had that ache in your chest where you've fallen asleep at night and you wished that you knew God more than you did. Maybe you've known God your whole life and you still know that feeling, that that yawning ache inside of you where you wish you knew the holy, this living God more. Maybe you've walked your whole life. Maybe you've checked out churches and you've just never gotten it. And you're here this morning again and you're making a go at it, but you still wonder what this is all about. How do I really do this? What do I do to know God? Richard Foster says this, it's on the screen. He said, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Depth takes time. If you want to head out to deep water As Pastor Kevin's been saying, God hasn't given you an oar and said, row your way there. God's given us these practices in a way that we can raise the sails so that our work is only in that preparing the ship to be carried by the wind of the Spirit. If you want to go to deep waters with God, it's about learning how 
to raise the sails, to position ourselves so that God can take us there. So this is about position. This is about proximity. And what we're going to look at this morning is is how do we sail together? What does it look like to raise these sails as a crew? I've never done sailing in earnest. I've only sailed with my brother-in-law, and it was a mess. It would have been much better had we had we uh, actually had a crew who knew what they were doing. Because it was just the two of us, and we were on Lake Ontario, and it was terrible. I came home with a gash in my eye and a black eye a week later. And so don't go sailing with me unless there's others around. We need community to go sailing. I'm somebody who knows what they're doing. And so it's important to do this together because we can learn from one another. And that's what it's like to, to raise the sails together. And so as we approach this passage in Acts chapter 2, we want to look, out some, look at some principles together of what it looks like to actually raise the sails in community. What does it look like to do that? Because we want to go deeper with God, not just as an individual. We want to go deeper together as Cornerstone. Is that true? Can I get an amen for that? We want to know God more as a church together. And so why don't we pray together? Lord, as we approach your word, we, we stand in awe that it's been um, saved, it's been treasured, it's been poured over, it's been translated so that we can read it in our own language this morning. God, there's been faithful men and women who've carried the torch of your word through the centuries, and here we have it in front of us today. What a gift, what an honor it is to be able to read it together. We're so thankful because we know that there's people in countries around the world who don't even have this opportunity And they have fragments of this. And they're just pouring over that. Lord, would you give us a hunger? Would you return a hunger in our hearts again? So that as we learn together of the scriptures, we can actually draw deeper into knowledge of who you are and how much you love us and that you're for us. And so this morning we want to do that together. And we ask that your spirit would guide us as you draw us deeper. Amen. When uh, my family and I moved back to Ontario when we were first back, I was so thankful for friends at Southridge. I knew some of the pastors there and some of the folks there, and they gave me a soft landing uh, in the sense that one of my good friends, Chris, was the manager at the shelter there. They run a shelter. There's about almost 40 beds that they have there, and they serve meals. They call it three hots and a cot in the business, so three hot meals and a cot to sleep on. But Southridge is incredible in that they do much more than that. And so when I was uh, working there early on, as I was just finding my way, uh, a gentleman was dropped off, and his name was Tom. And Tom, uh, sadly, his story was not unlike many of the others who often found their way to Southridge, in that his, his story was actually full of tragedy. And the night that he was brought there, He was rescued out of a situation. He had lost all hope. He was completely desperate. He was done with life. He didn't want any more of it. And so he had bought enough drugs to end it that night. But in God's providence, only because of God, it wasn't even a Christian fellow, but one of his social workers uh, received a phone call that he was missing. And he went out looking for him, and he found Tom, and he rescued Tom, and he brought him into the shelter that night. He went over, way over and above his job description to rescue Tom. Tom came in and was a mess and needed some detox. And uh, 
And so we just loved on Tom, and the community accepted. What's amazing about Southridge Shelter is not only do they meet people's physical needs, their financial needs, their, their emotional needs, they even hook them up with, with mental, help, uh, mental health help and organizations that can help them that way. But what they do, they're almost vigilant about, is creating community, loving community for people to be part of. And so Tom began to dive into this community headfirst. He uh, not only loved playing euchre in the common room, he loved grabbing coffee with anybody he could, especially the coaches. Uh, We had Wednesday night chapels that he was just singing his heart out. And at that point, he wasn't even a guy of faith, but he loved being together. He loved participating. He loved being a part of it. Sunday mornings, he started to attend very regularly. And so he dove, dove straight into community. But he still really wrestled with God. He wrestled with the idea of God. Why would God have let these things happen? You see, his addiction and his alcoholism came out of stuff in his life that were horrendous. They would make you and I both feel ill this morning if I shared some of his story with you. He was hoping to be here with me this morning. He's away on a retreat up in Muskoka with Southridge. I would have loved if he could have shared his story with you. Tom was angry with God. And yet here he was in this loving community. And he couldn't deny the fact that these people loved him, accepted him, treated him with respect, and gave him a seat at the table. And so one night he just couldn't handle it anymore and he ran downstairs in the dorm and he had it out with God. He was yelling, he was screaming, (laughs) but we let him do it. We just let him have his space because we knew what he was up to. And that night it was messy, but he came out of the dorm glowing, having given his heart to Christ on his own, wrestling with God. His story is one of miracle. I'm amazed by the miracle of Tom's story. Him and I are friends to this day, and we're going out for dinner this Wednesday just to hang out and catch up. But his story is a miracle of what God can do when people risk real Christian community. Tom's story is a miracle because he has seen his addictions stabilized. He's gotten a full-time job. He has an apartment now. And most of all, what we celebrate is he's gotten his kids back. His kids were in a foster in foster care, and he has now fought and he's fought to get his kids back, and they are living with him. It's incredible. I'm so excited for him. But what I really and what Tom would want to tell you this morning is that the biggest thing in his life was community, was that he found a place to belong, and he found a place that would love him and a group of people that would love him. So he's still super committed to community. He goes, attends church every Sunday. He's part of a life group at Southridge. He has a men's accountability group. There's a gentleman that he partners with that they phone each other every morning and every evening just to check in with one another. Community has shaped him, has changed him to become more like Christ. God's story, the whole Bible is full of this idea of community. Right from the very beginning in Genesis, we see a picture of God. God is creating everything. 
And his words are creating things. What was nothing has become something. And John, later in the gospel, in his gospel, he says that that is the word. The words of God in creation was actually the eternal Christ taking participation in, in, create, in creation. And then we also see in Genesis that the Spirit is hovering over the water. We see this picture of a trinity, uh, a unity of three persons in one God. God is perfect community. And then we see he creates mankind. He creates man. He says it's not good for what? It's not good to be alone. So he creates woman for what? For community. We're not created to be alone. And then later we see he, he creates community in in a family that becomes a nation to be his representatives to the world of how much he loves the world and how much he cares for the world. He creates a community. Then Jesus comes on the scene, and what does he create? He creates a life group of 12 guys. They're doing life together. And then three of them are kind of his best friends. They're like his accountability partners. He doesn't need it, but they do. And then he's got 72 disciples that he sends out in twos. He's creating community all over the place. And then he's feeding 5,000 people. That's a mega church, right? We're like, we like our small church. We do. Jesus is creating a mega church. 5,000 people. Jesus is creating community all over the place. And then in that upper room, he takes the elements of the bread and wine. They're celebrating the Passover feast together. And he says, this is a new covenant I'm making with you. What? He's creating a new covenant community. And we call that what? We call that the church. Community is essential to who we are. So on the one hand, family in Christ is not something we create. We're talking about spiritual practices. We're talking about disciplines. Community is not something we create. It's actually part of our identity. When you say yes to Jesus, you become part of the spiritual family. You're in. You're part of the fellowship. You're part of the community. That's who you are. And yet, on the other hand, we, we all know that community, real Christian community, can be really challenging at times. Who here is an introvert? Is it, if you raise your hand, you might not be an introvert. I know you are, though. I know you are. You're just a, you're a gamer this morning. You're sitting in the front row, so you had to raise your hand. If you're an introvert, person, some personalities make friends like crazy, right? And some personalities have a really hard time with that. For some of us, the intentionality of community is a difficult thing to do. It's a challenge. This is, we have to be intentional about it. So some of it is just, it's who we are, and some of it is that we need to live up into who we are. And so this morning, I want to challenge us, if, if you have a, an issue with that, and you see other people, yeah, well, I don't really make friends well, but that person does, and so community can be their thing. In fact, the most challenging thing for all of us, whether we make friends easily or not, is making friends who aren't like us. That's the challenge of Christian community is befriending people, including people, inviting people who are not like ourselves, who's not part of the same socioeconomic structure, who, who don't have the same background, that they don't know what Fleischpersky is. You know, it's inviting people who, and that could be any, if you're Italian, you got Italian food that I've never heard of too. All of us have these things 
that we're afraid to invite people into if they're different than us. And so as we look at this passage in Acts in 247, we see these rhythms and we see that there's four habits that the early church is about. And, and in there, there's this word fellowship, right in verse 42, that it says that the early church was devoted to fellowship. What is fellowship? I think sometimes we think that fellowship is like a potluck in the basement. And if we had a good time, we say, that's good Christian fellowship. And that might be part of fellowship, but that's not exactly what fellowship is. And fellowship there is a term in Greek called koinonia, and there's two parts to that. It means partnership and participation, partnering together, but, but not simply like a business, but in an intimate friendship sort of way. So what fellowship means is that we're actually partnering together and we're participating, we're co-heirs in what Christ has won for us, which means resurrection, it means new life, it means being filled with the Spirit, that we are co-heirs in those things, we participate, we partner in those things, but we also get to partner and participate in His mission in the world. And so, so just as we understand this idea of fellowship, as we look at what fellowship is, as we look at what it means to, to be intentional about fellowship in Acts, this word is huge. And then there's four things that come under what fellowship means. There's rhythms of life that this early church is practicing. And I want to look at those things together. And so those four things are that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Fellowship is the umbrella over these things, okay? So they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to breaking bread together. They were devoted to prayer, which we've covered, so I won't touch that again. And they were devoted, later on, it talks about them selling what they have and sharing with those in need. So they were devoted to radical generosity. And so the first rhythm I want to look at this morning, I've called that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, that they were devoted to the habit of studying wholeheartedly. The early church was devoted. This, this word devotion, uh, has, is, it means that they were constantly diligent. They were continually earnest. They were unrelentingly steadfast to the teaching of the apostles. And this, of course, makes sense because Jesus' ministry was so filled with teaching. And so they were continuing on in that tradition of Jesus being a rabbi, being a teacher, and teaching had a high place in the life of the early church. When I came back to faith as a young man, and some of you know the story, I've told that to our congregation here. When I came back to faith, it came, it, I think it was the power of the Spirit that had come over me. I was so hungry to read Scripture. I wanted to know more of God, and so I was reading voraciously. I had a night job at a gas station, and no cars, rare, like, they rarely came in, so I had all this time to read. I was so hungry. I was reading through the gospel, read through the gospel of John. I wanted more, so I got this out of my dad's library. It was a book about this thick. It was called the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, and I read through the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology on my night shifts. I was so hungry for more. I wanted to know more of God. I want to know more of what it meant to be a Christian, but I knew on my own. I started realizing that on my own, it wasn't good enough. 
And so as I came here to be part of this community, Ed Heinrichs was teaching, and, and I was so amazed at being part of a community that were devoted, not only every Sunday, but midweek, to learning more about the scriptures. Like, and that's why we're here this morning. We're being devoted to the apostles' teaching about what the gospel is. We, won't, we need to be devoted to the gospel. I learned things in that season from others that I would have never learned on my own. And then from here, I launched out into, into wanting to do a Bible college, and there we poured over the scriptures. I learned things from others, again, that I would never have learned on my own, even how to approach scripture, how to interpret scripture, who this God was, what life was like as a Christian, I learned so much more because my eyes were being opened through other people into what the scriptures were teaching. Bill Donahue, he's a small groups guru, and he says this, in scripture, we discover the words of truth. In community, we practice the works of truth. And scripture tells us how to live, and our community tells us how we're really living. I was hanging out with a life group on uh, just this past Friday night, and we were talking about some deep things in our lives. We were talking about how our tongues, we were in James, and we were talking about how our tongues can, can be like a spark that sets a whole forest fire on fire. And so one of the ladies had, had responded about how God has really changed her heart in this. And, and, and then I looked at her husband and I say, is that really true? Because in community, we, 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 we are responsible to one another to holding up a mirror and saying, yes, it is true, or actually there's more work to be done. And so engaging with scripture and community means that we need to open our lives to one another. And here's the scary part. Some of you, I want to recognize that you've been burned in Christian community before. You've been judged. You've been um, harshly criticized, maybe for something in your life. And so I want to say to you this morning, that's not Christian community. That happens in the midst of Christian community, but that is not what God intended. And so this morning, I just want to say to you, if that's your story, if you've been hurt by Christian community before and you're shy, you won't even be part of a life group now because you've been hurt that badly. I just want to, I just want to this morning apologize to you, and I'm so sorry that you've experienced that. That is not the plan of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and that's part of your story and you're checking things out once again because you want to give it another shot, I'm so encouraged by that. And I want to ask you to stay the course because Jesus has a plan and community is part of that plan. And he, want to, he wants to redeem that in you. So this idea of holding up a mirror is about gentle, loving interaction. It's about getting to know somebody and their story well enough that you become friends. So that as you're walking the journey and Jesus is correcting our paths together, we actually become more about encouraging one another and building one another up instead of tearing one another down. So firstly, we are committed to study. And when we do that, we can actually live a one another life. There's 59 one-anothers in the scripture. Have any of you ever studied that? There's 59 one-anothers. Several of them are the same. They're love one another. 
And so I've inserted that into your bulletin this morning so that you can see them. You can take that home. We're not going to go over them this morning. But I want you to take that out and look at it. And if you're part of a life group here, by the way, there's 10 life groups at Cornerstone, and there's almost 100 people in life groups, like 100 adults. That's incredible. We were trying to do the math this week. That's almost 50% of you are in life groups. You're committed to this kind of life. And so I want you to take this sheet out, and I want you to, you to go over this. There's 59. That means if you take one a week, it'll take you more than a year. And I want you to focus on one a week, and then I want you to challenge one another. This is going to be on top of what you're already studying, because it's really simple. And I want you to say, this week, we're going to work on this. It says, love one another. How are we going to do that? How did you do that? When you meet again the net following week, I want you to ask one another, what did, what did that look like this week? How did you love one another? So this is here in this body. What does that look like? How did you encourage one another this week? So I want you to do that. If you're not part of a life group, then you know that you have a circle of friends and Christians that you can do this with. And I want, you to, I want, you, I want to encourage you to go to that person that you talk spiritual things over, and I want you to say, I want you to hold me accountable to these things. Let's try this out. What does this look like this week? The one another's. So firstly, we are devoted to studying Scripture together wholeheartedly. And secondly, the second rhythm in the habit of grace is that we show hospitality. And I've chosen a table specifically because here in Acts 42, we see that that the disciples were devoted to breaking bread together in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They showed hospitality. There's something incredible that happens when Christians gather together around a table and they eat, isn't there? We were at a party. It was a going away party from one of our dear friends. She was moving out west and and we got to be at a home where actually Josh Clausen lived for a time. So he could attest to this, and he could tell you whether this is true or not. But the stories about this family, it's almost a folklore in the community. One of the things, there's a constant steady stream of people coming and going because their door is always open. She stocks her pantry. It's huge. It's, it's fully stocked all the time because she never wants to be caught without something to serve somebody. They don't lock their door as a policy because if they're gone on vacation and somebody wants to use their house, they want it to be unlocked for them so they can enter. Like, this is a real family, a real Christian family here in Niagara. Like, this is, I'm not telling you a joke. Like, this is real. They do this. By the end of the night, uh, she had said to us, oh, yeah, I have relatives coming. The house is full of, like, 30 or 40 people. And she says, I have relatives coming who are staying for a couple weeks yet tonight. Like, they're on their way. And her house is full of people. She wasn't busy cleaning or vacuuming, right? Their house is constantly open. And you know what I thought was so interesting was that evening where the main gathering was, was in the kitchen around the island. There was this beautiful living room next door with comfy, cozy couches and a fireplace going. And everybody is standing around the island talking hospitality and food go hand in hand. By the end of the night, she said, we were putting our coats on, ready to go, and she said, you have to bring your kids back to swim this summer. And we were like, oh, that's nice. Like, I'm sure you're just saying that. And people around her were saying, she's serious. Like, she's dead serious. Like, you have to bring your kids back to swim. And this is the type of hospitality that this family shows folks. It's incredible. 
the famous Canadian priest Jean Vanier, who formed Larch Communities, which are communities around the world. He lives in France now. Uh, many of you know that they minister to people with developmental challenges. He says this, Welcome is one of the signs that community is alive. To invite others to live with us is a sign that we aren't afraid, that we have a treasure of truth and peace to share. If a community is closing its doors, that is a sign that hearts are closing as well. I love one of our life groups. It's pure hospitality. What they do each time they gather is they gather around the table, potluck style. They, they don't try to outdo each other. It's like whatever you can gather together to serve one another. It's a beautiful thing. And so I was able to be part of that life group as well. And what they do is they gather around the table and they share and talk and laugh. And then they might take a verse from Sunday. They might just pray together. But what they're doing is they're opening up their home and giving people a place at the table. There's something healing when you open up your home. There's something healing that happens to people when they come into the presence. They don't even maybe know it, but they're coming into the presence of a holy living God because of the presence of the Spirit in your lives, and they have a seat at the table. There's something incredibly healing when you say, yes, you have a place here. Pull up your chair. God can work in incredible ways. I'm convinced, and as pastors, we're convinced that the new kind of evangelism in this century is going to be table evangelism. It's going to happen around your kitchen table. And so I want to invite you to start a movement. Let's start a revolution together of table evangelism. The summer's coming. Dust off your barbecue. If you're unsure about the tidiness of your home, like host it on your on your backyard, on your deck, it's fine, but, but let's do this together. Let's invite our Christian friends, let's invite our unchurched friends into our home to give them a seat at the table and see what happens. And so secondly, we show hospitality. Thirdly, the third rhythm in the habit of grace is called serving in humility. We read in verses 44 and 45 that they served one another when people had need. In this case, the Luke, Luke, the author here, he's describing that they would pool their resources. They would bring extra money. They would sell things and bring the proceeds to the church leadership to distribute to the poor. I love about this church. I'm starting to learn. I've been here now for, for what is it, January, February, March. I've been here for almost three months. And yet still stories are trickling out about the generosity of this group of people. That you have given so much money overseas to, to alleviate poverty, it's mind-boggling. You're setting a standard in Niagara, particularly among MB churches, but probably for other churches. I don't say that to, to puff you up. I say that to build you up. It's incredible. Let's continue that heart of generosity Later on in Acts, it even says that they sell vacation homes and they're bringing that money to the disciples, to the apostles to distribute. It's incredible, that kind of generosity. And I see that here and I want to commend you for it. Another one of our life groups in this idea of serving of a towel, serving in humility, another one of our life groups 
uh, I got to meet with them. It's, a cr- it's an incredible story. That this life group is very intentional about serving in the community. They've served with different organizations in the community, and they've developed, a couple have developed a, a, a special relationship, a friendship with, with somebody that they've been serving in very practically meeting this person's needs. And then they started showing hospitality. And what I'm so amazed at is after four or five years of loving, of serving in humility, this person has now come and joined their life group. He'd probably never step inside of a church. Not like this. And now this person is engaging with the gospel conversation because of this loving service and humility. Robert Mulholland, he's a Christian professor and he's a writer. He's written many books. He, he says that spiritual formation is about being transformed into the image of Christ. We know that part. But sometimes we forget the other piece that he says. Into the image of Christ for the sake of others. That this is not for ourselves. That this transformation is for the sake of others. And, and I would argue others who aren't like ourselves. The church is at its best when we're serving the community with the love of Christ. And so if you're in a life group and, and maybe you're focused on, on the hospitality piece, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to focus on what does it look like in your neighborhood or in your community to begin to serve people in a really practical way. I love that our men's group, when I was first around, they were talking about, they don't like to make a big deal of it. And so many of you don't want to make a big deal of it. And I respect that. But as a pastor, I get to because I get to talk today and stand on stage. I can make a big deal about you guys because I'm so proud of what happens here. The men's group heard about a widow in the community who needed work on her house. And what did they do? They pooled resources and they gave her a new door and they did a demo in her basement. It's that kind of stuff where the gospel is going to spill out of this building into the community and where people are going to take notice. It's incredible. I want to challenge you, each one of you, whether you're in a life group or not, to start considering what does it look like for me to live an out sort of life, a service-oriented life, And so as we explore how to live in these three rhythms, I want you to see this idea of up, in, and out. Kevin mentioned that last week. And so as we, because balance is so important, there's many Christian groups that will focus on just one. And I want us to be able to focus on a balance of all three. Some groups just want to do a hardcore Bible study and they forget about the other two. Or some groups just want to eat together and laugh and have fun and they forget about the other two. Some groups are only ever about social justice, and they're constantly painting somebody's garage or mowing somebody's lawn, but they forget about the other two. And what I want to suggest to us is the early church found a balance in these three things. And I want to encourage us as Cornerstone Community Church to to find a balance, because when we participate in the mission of Jesus, when it becomes more than just about ourselves, and we start becoming outwardly focused, then these these three things just get reversed. And so instead of starting with teaching and then moving to the table and then moving to service, when we're outwardly focused, it starts with the towel. And then it moves to the table. When we serve somebody's physical, financial, emotional, mental, psychological need, 
which Jesus was doing all the time. Jesus would approach somebody and he would say, what is it that I can do for you? What is it that you want me to do for you? He would heal blind eyes. He would heal broken hearts. He would feed people physically. He would meet a real need in somebody's life. And then would come the invitation. And so in the upper room, in John chapter 13, we see this beautiful picture of Jesus. The disciples are entering into this feast together. What does Jesus do? He takes off his outer garment and he wraps an apron around himself, and he takes a towel, and he washes the disciples' feet. He starts with serving, but he's not just doing it to serve them. He's setting an example for them, and he's setting an example for us to start with serving a need, meet a real need. And then secondly, what does he do from there? He gets up, and he invites them to the table in the upper room. So it has to move from just serving a need to invitation, to say, pull up a chair, you belong you matter. We care about you. We love you. And you belong here. You're invited. And then what does Jesus do? He takes the elements and he shares the gospel through the wine and the bread and he teaches. And at that point, they're ready to hear it. And so I want to suggest to you that this is not a formula. This is not some kind of Thing that we, I think, it, I think when we're living in the spirit, it becomes natural to us. But I want us to balance these three things because unless we meet somebody's need and unless we are invitational, nobody wants to hear what we have to say. Nobody wants to hear the gospel. And so when we start here with the towel, the table, then maybe then God has opened somebody's heart that they're ready to have a conversation about the good news and the hope that we have. the discipline of community. I'd encourage you in conclusion here, in this next month, here's my challenge to all of you, in this next month, to look at faces. I've heard many of you say, wow, there's so many new faces. There's people that I haven't even met yet here in Cornerstone. I want to challenge each one of you. Some of you are doing it, and I love it. To each one of you to open up your home. And invite somebody that you wouldn't normally invite over for a meal. And some of you might be thinking, speaking of ships, my ship has sailed. (laughs) Maybe some of you who are listening or watching online in pleasant manner are thinking, my ship has sailed. You can still offer hospitality. You can still invite people in. I love that, not to embarrass you, Ronnie and Mary, but Ronnie and Mary invited over Josh and Jess the other day and served them a meal. And you know what? Jess left, sorry to embarrass you, Jess. Jess left with tears in her eyes because it was such a profound experience of Christian love and community that people who aren't necessarily like one another, even an age demographic, can find commonality in Jesus. That's beautiful. Let's pray together. This morning, Lord, in these rhythms of grace, would you teach us the balance between what trying to earn your grace with our effort is and the difference between that and and living in the rhythms of, of raising the sails? 
God, we don't want to be people who try to earn your favor, earn your love, and yet we do want to be people who are intentional. We do want to be people who, who are careful about what you've taught. We want to be people about who are following your example and how you lived your life here on earth. And Jesus, it was very clear the example that you gave to us to serve in humility, to take up the towel. Would you give us a heart for that, Lord? Would you challenge us in our hearts when we feel like we're too good to do something or, or that somebody's not good enough for us to serve? Or, Lord, we confess to you that our hearts are, are often full of pride. And so, Lord, would you release us from that so that we would be open to serving anybody who you put in our path and invite us to. And secondly, Lord, would you give us a heart of hospitality, I think, in Canada and because of ISIS and because of all the political stuff that we've seen, we sometimes are afraid. We are afraid of the stranger. We are afraid of letting people in. And sometimes our pride gets in the way and, and there's too much Lego on the floor or there's, there's dust on our pictures or whatever it is that we feel like we can't invite people into our space. Lord, would you break those patterns of sin and would you help us to become open and hospitable people? Would you challenge us in those ways and enable us by your spirit? And Lord, would you help us to be committed to understanding the good news of what you've done for us and how it should filter into every part of our life? That the gospel would not only be for us, but it should be for the whole world. That as we partner and participate with you, as we join in this fellowship, not only in the good things that you've won for us and the incredible promise of heaven and the hope of heaven, but, but Lord, that you've invited us into mission and that we've, each one of us has become missionaries and that that's about the gospel. We want to be committed to learning together what it means to be missionaries for the gospel right here at home, right in our neighborhood. And so, Lord, we just submit ourselves to you once again. We say we can't do it without your power. We can't do it without your influence. And so, Lord, would you come once again? Would you challenge us to be the community that you created? Not the institution of church, but this family of faith that is loving one another. Because you said, Jesus, that the world will know that we're your followers as we love one another. We pray these things in your precious and holy name, Jesus.